Amen. You may be seated. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 today as we're continuing talking about becoming an Acts 1-8 church. Becoming an Acts 1-8 church. What does it mean to become an Acts 1-8 church? That means fulfilling God's dream for his church today by learning from the church at the very, very beginning. Now, here's some truths that I believe. God's dream for our lives, your life and mine, is better than your dream for your life. Secondly, not everything you dream of doing is something God wants you to do. To quote-unquote follow your dreams is a hopeless, empty statement if your and my dreams don't line up with God's dreams. God wants you to know his dream for your life and for our church. So why Acts 1-8? Well, the verse, I believe, lays out God's dream for the church at the very beginning. I believe it is still God's dream for his church today. Let me remind you some truths. Their situation was special. It was unique. It was the infant church, but we can still learn from it today. The principles that are there need to be applied personally before they can be realized as a body. We've got to be sensitive to God's timing in fulfilling those dreams. It's going to require sacrifice and surrender on our parts as human beings. We don't have to know everything that God's doing with regard to his dream for us if we know he is in control. And we ought to rejoice that God has a dream for our lives. We ought to rejoice. So, so far in Acts 1-8, we've looked at these two particular areas. We talked about the Acts 1-8 church as a positioned church. It's a church that's placed itself in a position to hear from God. We've also talked about the fact that an Acts 1-8 church patiently waits on the pace of God. God has a timing. We want to be sensitive to that. So today, what I want to propose to you is that the Acts 1-8 church must also be willing to be filled with the power of God. The power of God. So if you'd stand in honor of God's word. We're going to look at Acts 1-8 and 2, 2 through 4. So we talk about becoming a power-filled church. A power-filled church. Acts 1-8 and then 2, 2 through 4. Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then we go over to chapter 2. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Father, I feel like asking to be filled with your power is a little bit like saying we're willing to stand in the path of a storm because you are powerful. You're not looking for our permission, Lord, to move in mighty ways. You desire us to surrender to you and place ourselves in a position to experience you. So, Lord, just speak to us today about power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated. Well, what is power? Let's talk about that word power. Power in this passage literally means ability, power, strength, and might. It's power. The word in the original language is the word we get the word dynamite from, to give you an idea, or dynamo. It's power. And it especially points to the power that comes only from God, Him only. I want to share with you a story about experiencing power and losing power. Real life story. Now, many of you know this is the one-week anniversary of Harvey. Anybody remember Harvey? Many of you do. Many of you were affected by Harvey. It was an incredibly devastating event for the Houston area. Many of our church families, some here today, were affected and are still suffering through the aftermath of that storm. Some communities, like Cummings Community, that we reached out and ministered to were totally destroyed by the flood that would occur. I'm, I'm telling you this in all sincerity. My heart goes out. To those affected by the storm. It's a terrible thing to see your possessions destroyed and your life turned upside down. I'm saddened for all those who suffered. And it's a, it's a traumatic event to go through a storm like that. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if you don't feel the effects, if you have personally, you'll feel the effects for years to come with regard to Harvey. Here's why I know. Because the storm you see up there behind me is not Harvey. It's Katrina. And I was in the path of that storm 13 years ago this past week. And I want to tell you a little bit of my story about me and Hurricane Katrina. It was August 28th. It was a Sunday. And we were having dinner on the grounds of the church, having revival services. And the chairman of the deacons looked at me and he said, you need to go get your parents, and you need to bring them up here to stay with you. And they lived in a house in Hattiesburg by themselves. They were elderly at the time. And so I went and got them and brought them up there, and we didn't really know what to expect. Our frame of reference for storms in Mississippi at that time was Camille. If any of you, some of you may know what Camille was. Some of you do. But we didn't know what to expect with Katrina. We just knew it was big and it was coming our way. So we took my parents up to Collins, Mississippi, about 20 miles north of Hattiesburg, about 90 miles north of the coast. So that's where we are. And we're waiting it out in the church because that's the safest building we could be in. And I remember looking out the back windows of the Fellowship Hall of the church at pine trees that are about this big and watching these pine trees slowly just do this just lay on their side from sustained winds from Katrina. I also remember watching and hearing about and seeing pine trees this big that at about 10 feet high had been, it's like two giant hands had just done this to them. Tornadoes had come through and destroyed everything. And of course, we lost power. The power of Katrina caused us to lose power. We were without power where we lived in our home for somewhere between two to three weeks. Not days, weeks. We were without water because somebody had gotten the bright idea to steal the generator from the local water supply for about the same period of time and without cell phone service. 
the house that we were staying in, which was the parsonage, had roof damage. We had to go through and, and deal with that. The little place in the back, the little shed that we kept our stuff that was equivalent of a little backyard shed was totally decimated. Then there was my parents' house. They lived in Hattiesburg. We didn't get back to Hattiesburg. You couldn't get back to Hattiesburg for about five or six days. So, by the way, one of the things I'm so, this is going to sound weird, but I'm so glad that we were not, me and my family were not personally affected by Harvey like we were for Katrina because I felt so handcuffed during Katrina that I couldn't help other people. And I'm glad to some degree I was able to help others during Harvey. We got to my parents' house, 420 South 13th Avenue, and there had been this huge oak tree in the backyard, and you could not put your hands around it. Well, that oak tree, you could not see the house from the road. It had laid right on top of the house, and the house was totaled. Their back bedroom, where they might have been sleeping at the time, was totally flattened. Water had come in, destroyed the majority of what they owned. So that's power. And when a power like that hits the power you have, something's got to give. What's that got to do with this today? Well, here's the deal. As powerful as a Harvey or a Katrina is, God is more powerful. God is more powerful. And to experience the power of God in your life, in our church, will affect the power that you have in your life. It'll affect you. Because God can come on you stronger than a hurricane if you'll place yourself in the path to experience his power. So I want to talk to you about how do we become power-filled Christians and a power-filled church today. But before I do that, I do want to share with you one verse from 2 Timothy 3, and I want you to listen to the warning of this passage. Paul makes this statement. He says, but know this in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And listen to this statement. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. You see, you can do all the right things. You can have all the right programs. You can do all the right ministries and have the most jam up whatever in the world. But if you lack the power of God as a Christian and as a church, you're going to miss it. That's to us as a church and to you as a believer. Because as a believer, you can go to all the right events. You can do all the right things. And you can go through all the right exercises. You can check off the marks. I'm doing my devotional, doing all these things. But if you lack the power of God moving in your life, you're going to miss it. So, four responses I want to share with you briefly today. As I see this passage, and I see 
where I need to be as an individual, where I think we need to be, and as a church we need to be, if we're going to experience God's power. And really the question on the table is this, do you want to be a power-filled Christian? It's really the question. Do you want to be a power-filled Christian with the power of God? Number one, be faithful to do what Jesus has already told you to do. Be faithful to do what Jesus has already told you to do. Jesus simply commanded them to go and wait for the promise to come. He, now, he doesn't tell us to go wait somewhere for the promise to come, but can I tell you he's commanded us to do some things? He's challenged us to do some things. He's encouraged us to do some things. And I think about this. I think about the fact that maybe, okay, what if there's, what if there's maybe, there's the 120 who wound up in the upper room on that day of Pentecost, but what if somebody had heard that command and said, you know, Jesus, I think you're a great teacher. I think you're wonderful, but I got better things to do than to go wait in an upper room for you to show up. What if they didn't obey that command? What would they have missed? I'm here to tell you, God has given us some commands, has he not? In his word, some things that we ought to know to follow. And this is not about becoming a Christian. This is spoken to the people of God. This is spoken to believers. This is spoken to people who are waiting to get the power for their assignment. That's what this is about. It's about getting the power in order to be the most powerful positive witness for Jesus in their world. And they just obeyed what he told them to do. So has God told us to do some things already? Yes, he has. He's told us to repent of known sin. He's told us to shine our light before men. He's told us to pray fast and give in such a way that we don't lift up ourselves, but we lift up God. He's told us to listen for his voice and understand what he tells us to do. He's told us to beware of false prophets. He's told us not to be anxious about anything, but seek the kingdom of God first, and God will take care of the rest. He's told us to faithfully follow him. He's told us to have a, a reverent attitude toward him and not be intimidated by the things of the world. He's told us to speak up for him and use our, our lives as a platform to share the gospel. He's told us to be willing to give up everything in our lives in order to follow him and not to be an offense to God, to not assume anything. And I could go on and on and on and, and, and understand it's not a salvation issue, but this is an issue. Of if you're going to be ready to receive what God has for you, you got to make sure your house is in order. Are you obeying what he's told you to do? Are you stopping doing what he's told you to stop doing? Are you being faithful in what he's already said to you? Because it's my belief, if we're not willing to be faithful to do what Jesus has already told us to do, why would we expect him to show up powerfully in our lives? So be faithful to do what he's already told you to do. And second, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Second, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. He's there. When you become a believer, he comes in and dwells within you. But it's very interesting. The command is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we get intimidated by this passage of Scripture because it talks about Pentecost. And a lot of times when people hear Pentecost and they think of speaking in tongues, they think of charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches, but here is what was going on. God was giving them the ability to speak real languages to people who were there for that pilgrimage of Pentecost so that the gospel could be spread around the world. That's what was happening. And I look at it almost as a reverse of the Tower of Babel. Do y'all remember the Tower of Babel? It's like everybody's speaking the same language, and then they say, hey, we're going to build a tower up to God, and God says, it's not happening. 
And so God gives them all these different languages. He creates these barriers between them. And then at Pentecost, they all meet together. And God takes all those barriers and knocks them down. It's time for the gospel to go worldwide. But they had to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Now, the Holy Spirit, remember this unique situation, but he has called us and and calls us to do some things here today. So let me just mention some. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Are we allowing him to do his work in our lives? He will guide us into all truth. He will give us boldness. He will help us to know how and what to pray. He will help us to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and make melody in our heart to the Lord and give thanks in all things and to help us to submit to one another. We cannot do any of those things unless we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives. These things don't happen automatically. That's why in Ephesians 5.18 we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit because it's a choice. He lives within you. But is he in control? It's all about power. Who's going to have the power in my life? Who's going to have the power in your life? Is it going to be you or God? Are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to have the power? Are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to be in control? Or are you going to keep control of your life and miss the chance for God to move in power in your life and in the life of the church? This is about being a power-filled church. And a power-filled Christian. But the power I'm talking about is not our own. So allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. And third, be ready to be supernaturally surprised by God. We have a God of surprises. We have a God of surprises. Even when you think you know what's coming, he'll still surprise you. They could not have been expecting what happened in that room. They knew the Spirit would come, but it was a total surprise. And suddenly, the writer says, there came this sound from heaven as a rushing, mighty wind. I can't imagine. This wasn't a gradual thing. It wasn't planned. It was powerful. It was violent. God moved in on them like a hurricane. He did. It goes on to say that the whole house was filled where they were sitting God's Spirit hit the whole church. It wasn't just the preachers or the apostles. It was everybody. And then it says, there appeared to them these divided tongues as of fire, and each one sat upon each one of them. And the, the idea of fire in Scripture has numerous ideas, but the ones I want to go with is the presence of God, the purging of God, and the purification power of God, and the punishment of God. But there's this power that comes And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other languages, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The follower of Jesus became so consumed with the Spirit of God, it affected the way that they talked. What a surprise. We serve a God of surprises. I just want you to think about some surprises from Scripture. You have Noah and the flood. Sure, he was building the boat for a while, but I bet you they were surprised when it started raining. Abraham and Sarah having a child at 190 years old for each one of them. I can't even begin to imagine. The parting of the Red Sea. Can you imagine? The surprise. David killing Goliath. Elijah at Mount Carmel. Even the birth of Jesus. That's not the way you have 
a new king born is in a stable in a manger. What a surprise. The death of Jesus hanging on the cross that God himself would shed his blood and die for us. That's a surprise. And then the resurrection, the greatest surprise of all. Now we can get positive surprises and we can get negative surprises. But I'm here to tell you we have a God of surprises. And here's the reality of that. The point is that you can't put God on a schedule or know when he's going to respond or how. You cannot put him on the church calendar. You can't put him in the bulletin. You cannot schedule God. He does not work that way. He will not be hemmed in. It is often after the fact that we see the power of God manifested in our lives. And if we don't want to be surprised by God, we don't want to be surprised by God. Don't worry. We, we probably won't be. So what about you? Are you ready to be supernaturally surprised by God? And here's number four. Expect God to show up in a powerful way. Expect God to show up in a powerful way. What did you come today expecting? Some of you had your favorite football team played yesterday. My favorite football team is the University of Southern Mississippi. Southern Miss to the top. Just want to get that out there. They played Jackson State University yesterday. I expected them to win because Jackson State has a great band. And they did. There's an expectation that I came into that with. Well, there's expectations when we come before God, do we not? We ought to have. And there was an expectation. You expect God to show up in a powerful way, whether it's in your quiet time, whether it's in your Bible study. If you're going to encounter God, should you not expect him to show up in a powerful way? I want to share with you this story about the attitude of expectancy. Many of you have heard of Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, Jerry Falwell, Moral Majority. The minister of education there, his name was Elmer Towns. He's a well-known Sunday school guy, and he shares this story about when revival broke out at Thomas Road. It's back around 1973, 1974. But listen to his retelling of this. Revival began on Wednesday evening about 10.30 p.m., an hour after prayer meeting was over. It came when students and church members were milling around the front of the sanctuary. Most of the ushers and pastors had gone home. One student went to the pulpit, weeping to confess sins. The microphone and pulpit lights were off, but God was there. The students' passionate repentance captured those who were still in the auditorium. Someone began singing. A pianist ran to play the piano. People dropped to their knees beside the altar and the front of the pews. The piano was playing softly, not interrupting the sacred sound of tears. Shortly, another broken person approached the pulpit to confess sins. After two hours... Frantic phone calls went out to the pastor and deacons. Revivals hit the church. Church members were awakened in the middle of the night, hurriedly dressed, and drove through the dark streets of Lynchburg. All came back to the church building expecting to experience God. 
No ties. No Sunday morning dress. Just believers eager for the touch of God. What about you, beloved? Are you eager for a touch from God? Are you willing to expect a quote-unquote Pentecost? If you are, you might experience it. If you come to church desiring God to do something unexpected, he just might. The power-filled church and the power-filled Christian both are possibilities, but they're not certainties. So I'll leave you with three questions. Do you want to experience God's power? What about you? Are you ready to experience God's power today? Let's pray. I don't know where you are in your relationship to the Lord today. As Philip comes and leads us in our time of invitation, I want to share with you one of the greatest verses on power that's in the Bible because it speaks to anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Paul said these words. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is powerful. God, Hurricane Jesus, Hurricane Jesus wants to come into your life, but you've got to be willing to to give up power. You've got to step into the path of the storm that is more powerful than anything that you have and say, Lord, I'm yours. Surrendering my life to you. I'm giving my life to you. I'm, I'm trusting you by faith, Lord. You are the power I want to experience in my life. Because see, to be filled with the power of God is to be be emptied of the power of me. Maybe that's where you are today. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'd love to pray for you. Pray with you. I'll be down front to do just that. Maybe you're a believer and you've been trying to do this thing in your own power. I'm going to tell you, I'm just as guilty just as guilty. I think one of the dangers in life is we think we got it figured out and we can handle it and we got it and we got it done. I'm here to tell you you need God's power. I don't want to go through life with a form of godliness denying the power of God in my life. And beloved believer, I want you to experience God's power. But you got to allow the Holy Spirit to work you got to expect God to move. you got to be ready to be surprised by God. And you got to be obedient to what you already know what to do if you want to even begin to experience His power in your life. So why don't you do that today? I want to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, we just give this time to you, Lord. We're as powerful as we think we are. Compared to you, we're nothing. So, Lord, we're trusting you. Speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to be an Acts 1-8 church. We want to be a power-filled church. We believe that is your dream for every believer and your dream for every church. Help us to be the most powerful witness, the most powerful, positive witness for Jesus we can be. We 
میگشتش 